This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Today we are starting a new series of messages about Elijah, and to get us thinking this morning a little bit, I want to ask you the question, uh, who are some of the top ten most fascinating people that come to mind in human history for you? Just call out some names. Top ten most fascinating people in human history. Jesus is good. I'm glad that you made it. Who else? Abraham Lincoln. Martin Luther King. Yell them out. Okay, we'll move on. Uh, Joan of Arc sounds like a very interesting person that I would like to meet sometime. Well, as you think about that, uh, let's kind of narrow the scope a little bit. Who are uh, the top ten most fascinating people that you'd want to think about in the Bible? Who comes to mind? Those of you who know the Scripture well. David. Paul. John. Joshua. Abraham. Esther. Joseph. Saul. Mary Magdalene. I think someone said Noah. All right. Cool. Now, there's someone that would make my list, and we're going to talk about him in the next six weeks, and that's Elijah. And what's so fascinating about Elijah to me as a prophet of God that lived, even though he lived like three millenniums ago, is that he was a man of relentless faith. He was someone that faced some very dire circumstances in his personal life, and in the life of what was going on in this country, in this nation, and yet he just kind of persevered. I'm also uh, impressed with his incredible boldness, how that Elijah was able to speak to power and just really put his neck out there at times. I, I love the fact, too, that behind his words there were actions, and he was a real amazing miracle worker of God. I mean, some amazing things happened through Elijah. I also am taken by him because he suffered from depression. And the wonderful thing about doing a biographical sketch of a biblical character or reading a biography of anyone in human history is that you get to kind of see the person behind maybe the public image. And the the person of Elijah behind the public image is that he suffered from depression. And uh, we all have our maladies. We all have our frailties. And so that's part of his story, along with he's one of the few people in the Bible that doesn't ever experience death. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking in this series of messages on Elijah as we step back in the Old Testament story, this epic story. Today we're going to kick it off by talking about surprising ways, the ways that God works in surprising uh, things that we wouldn't even begin to anticipate or see. Next week we're going to be looking at high noon moments because in in the course of our life there are those times, are there not? High noon moments where we get tested. We don't necessarily see them coming, but oh my goodness, uh, the decision uh, and the actions that we take in those high noon moments really have a major shift in what's going to happen in our life and maybe have a big impact on a lot of other people too. So we're going to look at, at the importance of being ready for those high noon moments. We're going to be talking about running on empty. Uh, what do you do when you're, you know, you're just kind of spiritually, emotionally spent? Ever been there? 
and just drained. That happened to Elijah. And we'll look at what Elijah did and what God did in directing him to take care of himself. We're going to look at power plays, how that Elijah had to speak into power, had to speak to the political um, dynasties of his time as a prophet, as a spokesperson for God. We're going to look at passing the mantle, the importance of handing off a heritage to other people. Let me ask you this question. Some of us are really young. We don't even think about this yet. But um, in terms of heritage, what are you planning on handing off to your kids or your grandkids or the next generation of people around you other than just material possessions? Because if it's just material possessions, we miss the whole point. So that story is going to be about how Elijah's heritage continues in the next generation, ending up with the protege, Elisha. So we're looking forward to this series. And as we get the story started today, I need to just hit the pause button just for a moment and tell you a little bit about some other key characters in this story. And that is Ahab and Jezebel. Now, we got a picture of Ahab and Jezebel. That's uh, really a rather daunting, over-the-top portrayal. But we put that picture up there because in the Bible, you should know this, Jezebel is portrayed as the most wicked woman in all of Scripture. She hits the list. I mean, she is infamous as a spirit of Jezebel is talked about even through the New Testament and Revelation and different places. So um, she is kind of the epitome of evil, and Ahab is right alongside of her. And so to understand the story of Elijah, we just, we're going to deal with these two characters, and probably the person that in today's world that uh, on the movie screen that depicts her best is uh, Adominus Rex. So that's probably the closest portrayal in Jurassic World of what uh, Jezebel is like. Well, you get the point. Now, let's jump into this story nearly 3,000 years ago. Um, Ahab and Jezebel have brought the people of God away from faith, away from faith in the Lord. They've bowed to the fertility gods and goddesses of their time. Uh, with Baal and Estera, these gods, there's also Molech, which was a god where children were literally sacrificed to appease uh, the wrath or to get it to rain. And so Elijah is the guy that God raises up. And you've got to know that he's a bull in a china shop. Okay? He's not about incremental change. Um, love him or not love him, he's the guy that's going to speak out and change things. He's a change agent. He becomes known as the troubler of Israel. That's what the king calls him, you troubler of Israel. He's known as a troublemaker. How would you like that on your resume? troublemaker. That's Elijah. And so what happens is the story begins with Elijah just popping in on King Ahab. Maybe it's his doorstep. Maybe it's his throne room. But Elijah announces to King Ahab 
As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then he just gets out of town. And Elijah goes and he lives in a ravine. And famine and drought hits the land. He lives in this ravine where the ravens come and they feed him breakfast and supper, bread and meat. And as Elijah is living in the ravine, things go along fine for a while, but the famine gets so severe that the brook runs dry. And Elijah then goes into the land of Sidon, needing water, needing food, just like everybody else in the land does. He's as desperate as everybody else. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17 as we look at these words of Scripture. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Now, friends, about 365 times in Scripture, we come across that phrase, don't be afraid. It's often spoken by Jesus, it's spoken by angels, it's spoken by people of God to bring reassurance to people that are in desperate situations who are afraid. Don't be afraid. And Elijah says those words to this woman here. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make me a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord, spoken by Elijah. Now, in this story, there's some surprising things. God works in surprising ways. It's surprising that God would use uh, ravens to provide breakfast and supper for Elijah. It's surprising that God would cause flour not to run out, or a jug that's nearly empty of oil, never to run dry. And yet God does that in providing for Elijah, the woman, and her son. Have you ever been in those situations, maybe you're in those circumstances today, where things are pretty desperate, things are pretty scarce, might be physical things, it might be emotional, relational, financial 
you're in a desperate situation enough where you've got to kind of believe. Not just kind of believe, but you've got to believe that God's going to do something miraculous here. You know, I think the most uh, amazing thing uh, in the story is that God uses and puts together two people of very different worldviews and different faith. Elijah and a woman of Sidon who's living in Phoenicia, which is all about the fertility God and goddesses. And, And Elijah asks the woman for help, and she obliges him. And from there, a relationship happens in these conversations where God keeps providing and providing and providing and guiding their lives. God is working in this relationship. Uh, One of the things that uh, I did recently was speak with Diane Joy. And Diane is one of those persons who's a member at Schweitzer, She's a leader in our food pantry. Uh, She's a person of real faith. She's lived in desperate times and situations and circumstances in her own life where provisions were short. And so I sat down with Diane. I just wanted to have a conversation about how God worked in her life in desperate times as well as how she sees God using her now to help other people. Let's watch. So, Diane, in the Bible, there's a story about a woman running out of flour in her jar. And so, in a tough time, things are scarce. Can you think of a time in your life when that was true of you? You were facing scarcity in some way? Well, I think as far back as when I was a child. And uh, I was a child that was always afraid. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of dying. I was afraid of storms. Um, And I remember one day uh, playing with my childhood friends, and it was starting to get dark, and my stomach would just start to hurt. The fear would start to rise in me. And then one day I was at a friend's house, and I was watching a program, and it was not a Christian program. It was just a regular show. And someone on that TV said, Don't be afraid. God is with you. And I realize now that that was God speaking to me as a little child. And so from that day on, my stomach never hurt again. And that was the beginning of my journey with God and with faith. So behind the fear was a shortage of God, if you will. Yes. So how has God helped you to overcome other scarcity in your life? Um... You know, I've had many times in my life where um, food was short, money was short, but God has always provided. I remember a time where I needed a car. I didn't have a car. And uh, a friend of mine said, just write on a piece of paper that you need a car and give it to God. And I did. And that week someone called me and said that they had a car for me. And they gave it to me. And that, that was God. That was God. I love that story. Mm -hmm. So now you are working in our food pantry. Yes. So you're getting to be in that role where you can be the voice of God, if you will, in other people's lives. So what do you experience or what do you observe about people that come into our food pantry 
in a condition of scarcity. You know, what? when I first started at the pantry, all I could see is that people needed food. But now I see deeper into it. People are spiritually starving. They feel that they've done so wrong for so long or have made the bad choices for so long that they can't get out of it and that God won't forgive them. And so I try to remind people there's nothing they can do to, to not receive God's love. And he's, he's just there waiting for them to ask for help. And there may be people watching this who have plenty of food and plenty of money but they're still scarce in terms of their faith. What would you want to say to them? I would say don't give up on praying and asking Jesus to show you because his time is not our time. And even though you may be asking for clarity and maybe there's still something messed up or cloudy inside of you, um, that's okay because God's working in you and he loves us all the same. It doesn't matter where we've been or what we've done. Um, so just uh, don't lose heart and just keep reaching out to him and he will see you through anything. What's the most uh, desperate need in your life right now? We are all in situations and circumstances where we are either desperate or we are married to someone, or we have a relationship with someone, someone that's close in our family or friendships, that are in a desperate situation. So what's, what's the word of hope? What's the word of the Lord for us, for them? What is, what is God wanting to do or say to you or through you? To help be that Elijah in someone else's life. To be that Diane Joy in, in, in someone else's life. One of the things that really strikes me about uh, the Bible and, and this story and so many stories is that uh, God is working cross-culturally and cross-generationally. And if there's a word of the Lord that I would want to leave with you today and really help to settle in your mind and spirit, it's this. That we are called by God to have conversations with people of a different generation and a different economic status and a different race, color, and creed. And by that I mean um, we need to be seeking out and having conversations that are real and meaningful between generations. My generation, I need to speak with someone that's older or younger than me. And it's harder to find more people older than younger than it used to be. But I need to actively be reaching out and speaking with people of a different generation. I need to be looking for the great division that is creating such separation in our culture, and that is classism. Classism is even greater than racism, is a barrier in our culture. And I need to actively be thinking about how do I, as a middle-class guy or someone that grew up in a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant community, how do I intentionally reach out to people that look different from me, are different from me? I know I grew up 
being very intimidated by wealthy people, and I grew up with a very judgmental perspective toward people who were poor. And I have got to actively look at ways in which I overcome that. And I think the Scripture is calling us continuously, the Spirit of God, to to do that in reaching out across the lines that are separating us. We are in a community that is changing. We are in a community that is more diverse than we might think it is. And we are in a community that is hurting and has got issues. And we've got to figure out ways of having intentional conversations with people. Now, this is, this is hard for me. But I, I'm really intentionally seeking to do this in a different way. And I think this is what God is, is so strongly laying on my heart as your pastor, encouraging you to do this too. In fact, if I was a professor and you were in a classroom and I had power over you, I would say, this is your assignment this week. How would you do last week? This would be my question next Sunday. Okay? So this week, uh, a week ago, I was praying, and I was having a wonderful time with God in my chair time, and I didn't really want to leave God's presence. It was just a rich, deep experience with God. But I wrote in my prayer journal, reluctant to leave, but ready, anticipating seeing you in all the places I go this day. So that day, I honestly was looking, my eyes wide open, looking where I would see God. And I can live this way every day, but I don't. But I could, and I want to more. And so that day I went to a restaurant, and I sat at a food bar, and uh, God just spoke to me, you know, um, pay attention to the fry cook. And I began a conversation then with the fry cook, and I figured out, how do, how do I start the conversation? And he had all tattoos all around him. And so I said, he had faith tattooed on his neck. And so I said, man, I, I like your tattoo. And he just immediately started talking about his life, his journey, his faith, his struggles with the law, the things that he's overcoming in his life this job, this hope that he has, and how God has been doing some amazing things in his life. And then after a while, the chef came over, the head chef of the place, and he sat down. I thought, oh, my gosh, he's going to get in trouble because he's not supposed to be talking to me. But the chef started talking to the two of us about how God is moving and working in Springfield, Missouri, and what God is up to. And long story short, I learned a lot more about faith just listening to these two guys than they did from me. All because I was looking for God and began a conversation. Ken Bass works in uh, our community garden, and there's ten Burmese families that have plots in our community garden, our neighborhood garden. And uh, he was mentioning to me after the 820 service this morning, you know, if you want to have an interesting conversation cross-culturally with people, uh, go talk to them. Two to three hundred people live real close to us. Ten of those families have a plot in the garden. And uh, the pastor never turns off his car because he has to jump start it to get it going in the morning. And uh, there's all kinds of issues and problems and scarcity that's going on in their life. And yet there's faith. So 
God, the word of the Lord, friends, is pay attention. Who's in your life? Who are you going to see this week that's different from you, that looks different from you, of a different generation than you, of a different economic group than you, and begin a conversation and see what happens? Simple enough? Pastor Jim this week heard a voice, and the voice said, You're hungry. Go to lunch. I can handle that. So Jim got in his car, and he says he didn't know where he was going, which is not atypical about Jim. I mean, but he winds up at Jimmy John's. Never goes to Jimmy John's, but he wound up there because God directed him to Jimmy John's. And he sat down, and he ordered his food and waited. And in walked this young entrepreneurial guy, millennial, sharp dude, someone he had known in his past, and they strike up a conversation. But what this guy's really hungry for is faith. And Jim and him had a great conversation about how he can read in the Scripture, get into his Bible, and how he can pursue this relationship with God and how he can begin to feed his faith. All because Jim is willing to listen to the whisper of God in his life. Friends, the stories in the Bible are not written so we can study about what God did back in that day. The stories of the Bible are written today that we might see what God is doing in the circumstances and the events of our day. That we are called in times of scarcity and need, in the, in the heroic work of a widow, to provide and to assume the word of a prophet is directive enough where she takes her last meal and feeds him first. Or the words... And the spirit of Elijah, who begins to have a relationship with someone of a different culture, a different faith, and because of that, she comes to faith herself. Now, there's more to this story, and we're going to read this second segment of the story today of what happens next. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing she said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow that I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into his house. And he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you're a man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. It's fascinating, isn't it, when the woman's son dies, 
what she says. What do you have against me? She says this to Elijah. Why have you reminded me of my sin? See, Elijah is God's representative, and the woman speaks the language of people who feel desperate and people who have problems, and this is the view that many people have of God. God, what do you have against me? Why are you bringing this into my life? Why did you bring this tragedy on my life? It's because of my sin, isn't it? This woman speaks the language of so many people we encounter. It's almost exactly the words that Diane Joy said of who she encounters in the food pantry. They get, they get beaten down in life. They have this past. And they don't believe that there is any hope. That God's against them. Not for them. Maybe you've felt that. Maybe you're feeling that today. And Elijah doesn't theologize with her or theorize with her. He, he listens to her. And then he says, give me your son. Sometimes people of faith, we, we need to be able to say to people that are so desperate, well, let's give me your son, give, give, give me your problem, and, and let's take this to the Lord. Let's take this to the Lord. Now, in this case, he leaves and goes to the upper room, and he prays the prayer, and the boy is miraculously resurrected. Resurrections don't happen a lot in the Scripture, but they do happen. But what would happen if you and I began to just not be the problem solver in someone's life or not ignore them in their desperate need but could just simply listen and care and love and say, let's give this to the Lord. Ultimately, friends, that's all we can ever do. We can give it to the Lord. And because Elijah does this, and I love, I love how Elijah says, breathe new life into this boy, God. Breathe your life into this boy. You and I are called of God to breathe new life into the sons and daughters of humanity. And God is the source of that breath. The Holy Spirit is that breath. And we are dependent upon the living God who gives life and breath to us. And if you and I do this, if we're willing to be bold, if we're willing to have a relentless faith, if we just keep persevering, if we are there in someone's life, other people, other people are going to have some resurrections in their life. God is going to move in their life. Miracles will take place. Because the question is, do resurrections produce faith or does faith produce resurrections? So when we step out, so when we put ourselves out there, it's when we're bold, 
It's when in a time of scarcity we have nothing to we have nothing but just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. But what we got, God, it's yours. That's what God is is speaking forth today in this old story about Elijah and the widow and her son. Now, what is God saying to you today? How is God messing with you today? How is God working in surprising ways in your life? 